Welcome everyone to another interview edition of the Soundcast. I'm Marius Masilar, and with me today is a very talented guest, Mr. Gareth Coker, who's here to talk about his work for the recently released game Ori and the Blind Forest. Welcome to the Soundcast, Gareth. Thank you for having me, Marius. It's uh, it's nice to be uh, with Track Sounds after many years of of reading the website. So uh, yeah, pl- pleasure to be here. This is kind of a fun career here writing music for games. And I've found that a lot of game composers have an interesting path that they followed to get into this career. So I was hoping we could start off by having you just tell us a little bit about what that path was like for you. Well, I went to music school uh, in England. I went to the Royal Academy of Music, um, studied composition there. Um, and then I was like, I have all of the the tools to write music and I have no real life or work experience. Uh, So then I went and taught English in Japan for three years. And that was a good experience, partly because I got to travel the world and get paid for it. And also because it put me in a work environment and uh, Japan society is, you have to be, it's all about the group. And being the youngest, also, I was at right at the bottom of that group. Um, so to gain the respect of your colleagues, you have to work really, really hard. So being in that kind of environment, it might it might sound like I'm not doing much music. I was doing music like on the side at home, but yeah, being in like a proper collaborative work environment um, and having to interact with 15 to 18 year old students uh, every day, um, it gave me a lot of tools that I can now use in my composing career, like interacting with other musicians, working with directors, working with producers. As you, as you know, it's like it, there are a lot of people and different personalities you have to deal with. And I kind of got like a three-year, three-year, I wouldn't say head crash start. Course crash in, course. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. you've got to add in that it's all in a foreign language as well. <laughs> so are you so, fluent in Japanese now? No, I'm not fluent in Japanese. I could get by. Um, because for every you know for every class I was teaching there, I would um, I'd have a, an assistant Japanese teacher with me who could if I, if I got stuck then um, they they could step in, um, but yeah definitely good enough to get by and I had no no problem living there for three years um, so that was kind of a crash course but it was all with the like long term intention of coming to LA and. Um, I applied to USC, uh, University of Southern California film scoring program um, in my final year in Japan. And I got in and uh, uh, did that course, which was an absolutely awesome course. Um, Got taught by Lenny Moore, um, who is a video game industry stalwart and tons of other people on that program, uh, which they, they, they gave me all the tools, especially for game music that like just the just the uh the practicalities of getting game music together and getting how to get it working in video games right so all the uh, non-musical technical aspects of it right well. um and you know you, you need to you need to go through that because it, it can get pretty complex um and then basically the next three to four years i've been doing a lot of trailer music um for icon trailer music and emi production music um and i work directly with a couple of uh, trailer music uh sorry not trailer music just regular trailer production companies so um the editors come straight to me which is nice um and then one day i get this uh i get this email in my inbox um and uh it's from thomas Mahler. i'm like who's this guy look him up and he's worked at blizzard okay oh this is pretty cool right um he found my music on mod db which is a really like <laughs> i know mod db yeah 
Yep. Um, which is a really like, it's a really good website, especially if you're starting out and, you know, I have some tracks up there and, um, he found me and he's like, Oh, we've, we've, uh, got this game coming up and we've got a, we've got a prototype that we're doing. Um, would you, would you be interested in doing the prototype? And, you know, I was like, send, send the game over and he sent, send it. And I played it and I was like, Hmm, there is something quite special about this. Um, now the look has changed a lot since that prototype, but the core game, it was similar to what you see now. And it was fun and it was beautiful. And I was like, I have to do this. Um, so I did the prototype for free. Uh, they pitched it to uh, various publishers and then Microsoft ended up biting. And, uh, and, and here we are. Um, I've done a couple of scores on uh, as well, but um, Ori is definitely, uh, definitely the biggest, most substantial project I've done so far. Um, that kind of gives you like a, a run into like how I got, this, uh, got to this point. But yeah, it was because I answered an email from ModDB. That's basically how I got Ori. <laughs> It's so it's so funny that it's ModDB because I I've heard from several composers and myself actually getting started on ModDB. I think the modding community is just such a valuable resource that sometimes starting out composers don't realize just how important it can be to work on some mod projects, get some experience, get your name out there, and how many people are actually keeping an eye on communities like that. It's a big, it's a big community. It's, um, I, I don't think I, re I don't think I realized it at the time, probably because I was just enjoying the community so much. I don't think you, uh, I don't think you ever really think about how big it is. And then, of and course. then at the time, like, I didn't know, really know who Thomas was, but then you, you look, you look a person up online. It's like, oh, this guy's work is pretty, pretty good. Um, and then, you know, I got introduced to the rest of the team at Moon Studios and, uh, um, you know, I'm looking at all their work. I'm like, wow, this is a really, really talented bunch of people. Um, and I, I was probably the least experienced on on the team, especially when I, when I joined. Right. So, um, that was quite a while ago. Because if if I understood correctly, um, this initial pitch and this initial prototype was like, did you say four years ago? I, I was reading the AMA on Reddit. That is correct. Four four years ago, uh, I can't remember exactly the date that it was like signed by microsoft but um yeah it, i've been associated with this project for four years yeah and I, I mean to me that just it's amazing because usually the uh the composer has much much less time to be immersed in a project and so i'm, I'm wondering how did that timeline affect things for you i mean did it did it affect your process were you working on it throughout or well here's the thing um, I mean, obviously it would be nuts to be working on it full time for four years. Well, yeah. Um, so, um, I was in and out of the project, especially for the first two years, I would say. Um, but moon gave me access to absolutely everything. Um, so we have a, we have a big, um, we have a big like online server where everything we can access everything. And, um, so I had, I could play the early builds. Um, I could see, you know, I could get used to the controls. There weren't any visuals in um, early on. So basically Ori was a rectangle and the levels were just all geometry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, but it was still fun. It was still fun to play even without the visuals. Um, and when you've got something that's fun to play without the visuals, like it, it makes things, it makes things a lot easier for the artist because it's, it's just, ultimately it's just, 
set dressing. Uh, and it's also that. a good sign for the game designers right. to know that even without all of the eye candy, the core gameplay itself is solid because ultimately right. that's what, you know, that's what contributes to the longevity of any title. Yep. And and it was the same with uh with our cutscenes and and the the now the, the now famous prologue which everyone seems to be loving which is fantastic but that was a lot of work uh we can talk about that yes. a bit later if you want yeah. um but you know the prologue was initially just like 10 minutes of uh you know a white rectangle moving around really 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 rough uh background drawings um but we still kind of got what uh what the team was going for um and when when you have something that it, it looks so rough but you still feel something from it then you're in a really good place um and this was the kind of thing that i was checking in on you know every week or so and then every so often i would you know write a concept track and some of the concept tracks ended up staying in the game for for a year two years and they'd use the same track for seven or eight areas of the game and i'm sure our testers probably wanted to tear their hair <laughs> out i'm sure they turn, i'm sure they turned the music off um until until we started really adding most of the music and that started happening when the visuals got thrown in because a lot of the the music choices are informed by the visuals but the pacing and flow and momentum of the music is informed by the gameplay now one of the things that's interesting about moon studios is that it's not actually the same as a lot of studios where there's you know a big office and you've got everyone working together uh if i understand it these guys are all over the world and yourself included so what was that i mean how does that affect the workflow when it's an entirely distributed team it has a lot of advantages and uh, a few disadvantages um so the main the main problem is the the time zone issue because um, for example our programmer is in australia i'm in los angeles Thomas, the director, is in Austria. Uh, Gennady, the technical director, is in Israel. Uh, some uh, quality assurance people are in Israel. Um, Microsoft is in Seattle. Uh, Animator is in the UK. So we're all over the world. Um, so coordinating meetings, someone someone was getting screwed, basically. Um, so I think we found that our sweet spot was like, 7 a.m. for me, um, which would be like 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. in Australia. I'm not 100% sure about the timings of that, but you know, programmers stay up late yeah, anyway, so probably wasn't a problem for him. <laughs> uh, um, so just just the coordination of like having meetings, and and we had a lot of meetings and a lot of communication. I think that's that's one of the reasons why the project has come together as well as it has like everyone is on the same page and we all see the same thing um and we all understand what we're trying to get to um so the time zones yeah it was a bit annoying at occasionally but compared to the benefits um which are we're all able to work from home uh we're all able to work whenever we want and i think the biggest one is at any hour of the day, someone is working on the game. So whenever you update your online repository, there's probably going to be some upgrades that you can see. Yeah. Um, and, and these things are getting updated, you know, dozens of times a day. And so every so often, you know, it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna upload a few new music tracks, and they get put in the game, and then you know the artists start playing. And then, oh, that music track is really good, or it's really terrible. Can you do something new? Um, so in that sense, you actually get a constant loop of feedback because everyone is updating the game all the time 
um, and we're all testing the game at different times. So you've got different aspects of work happening all the time, which I think may have increased productivity, especially once um, once we got into the routine of doing it. First, the first year or two when we were experimenting, it maybe wasn't such a good system. But when the, the core game was locked into place... And when you guys hit your stride as far as understanding how you were going to work together. Right. I think we just kind of got into a groove with it. And uh, the productivity actually actually really increased especially especially in the final year um and that is going to help us going forward because if we decide to do something in the future we we know we can do it now um and we know it can be done on a project that has an unbelievable amount of assets in it um so um it was it was a challenge at first but we all grew into it and um just being able to contact anyone at any time you know if you're in an office you have to go to someone's you have to go to someone's room and that like involves it involves walking to the other person's place and yeah it's not that inconvenient but instead you can just like communicate with people instantly and they're all at home and it's it's every i felt everyone was more uh was more comfortable um when they were working at home um so uh, everyone felt don't get me wrong we had some we had some tense moments during the development uh what development doesn't but uh um i think overall the the comfort level of being able to work when you want um really really helped yeah, it's interesting. It's almost ironic that a team that's so distributed ends up having, in many ways, a better sense of flow and just collaboration than a team that's working, you know, in the same building or the same city. It's it's fascinating that you guys made that work, especially on a project of this scale. I mean, like you were saying, the there must be a gigantic number of assets and uh, even just for the art alone. So the fact that it worked so smoothly... Um, you know remotely for everyone is is remarkable yeah i mean with the with the art i mean um every single asset is hand drawn and there are no repetitions to my knowledge um that's something we've been put on record um so it's it's an insane amount of work for the artists but at the same time while it is is a lot of work that everyone is constantly testing me i mean i must have put hundreds of hours into playing the game um, and I'm really good at yeah. it now, obviously. <laughs> um, so, um, but th- the reason we all put so many hours of testing—it's not just because we love the game and we want it to do well. It's because we are looking, we are looking for issues. You know, I found I found gameplay issues, and some people found music issues that I might not have found. It's such a huge game, and you can't just rely on on the testers um, because the testers are looking for certain things, but they're not thinking about so much about musical flow and how does one cue they can see the obvious transitions it's a different perspective and whereas we're looking for the music i'm looking at the big picture so i have to play the game from start to finish quite a bit because i want to look at the overall emotional arc of the game right um and that's not something you can just do for like a half an hour so i'd have I would try and play the game from start to finish, especially towards the end, um, at least once a week. Um, and I would make notes and, um, you know, tweak music cues here and there to make sure that the the flow of one track into another was very smooth. And that's not just a technical thing. It's just, it's also, um, 
an emotional thing because you don't want to lay it on too much with the depressing music. So you, you need you need to give the player a moment of hope of course, uh, yeah. every every now and then. But that's difficult, especially early on in the game when Ori is very weak and pathetic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so later on in the game, it's a little bit easier because he he powers up. Um, but at the beginning, it's like, how do I make this music interesting and not feel like we're doing the same emotion for what could be three to four hours for the player um, before they get to the end of act one um, so you have to look for moments where you can give them hope um, and you can only do that by relentless testing um, and uh, that is pretty much what everyone on the team did um, they looked for errors but they also focused on their own department right and of course everyone knows their own department better so it's it's normal that right. you pick out different issues i mean the, the yeah. nice consequence of doing that is that now that you've put it on album it flows extremely well i mean it's one of the the most satisfying album listens that i've i can recall in quite a while because it really feels like you are being taken on a journey and the music is crafted to perform that way i mean it's there's there's very little that sticks out um you know it seems jarring or that seems out of place. It's just this one holistic narrative experience that, that goes on for the length of the album. That was one of the toughest things. I mean, writing the music is tough, but when you're putting together an album and I cut about 50 minutes from the album, um, just so you know. There's way more music in the game that isn't included. Um, but a lot of a lot of it is it's not like ambience one, two, and three. Um, like a lot of them are like actual like fairly important cues. Um, but I didn't feel they were important enough, and I, I wanted to create uh, an enjoyable listening experience. Um, and to do that, that was tough to do with 32 tracks. And keep the people happy, because like, I, I knew I knew there were probably going to be a couple of complaints. Why did you leave off this track here? Um, probably the most egregious uh, omission is the main title music. Um, but the reason for that was I don't consider it part of the narrative. Um, so it's a nice piece of music, and it uses the main theme. But the main theme is right. throughout the game anyway. Um, so I I really just wanted to start the soundtrack from the very beginning, the moment you press start with the game. Um, so I I uh, didn't include the title music, but from there on, uh, you experience the music pretty much how Ori will experience it in the game um, because I know the route that most players are going to take because I've put 100 plus hours into the game. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, um, that, that, that was tough though. Um, there's... There's a couple of tracks I would have liked to have had in there, but they would have disrupted the flow, especially the last three to four tracks. Um, like I really wanted to like not hang around with the ending. Yeah. Um, so um, there's a lot of stuff from the final big area. The big, the final big area takes place in a in a volcano, and there are eight puzzle rooms on the side and on on the side of the volcano, and each puzzle room has their own unique music, um, but they're all kind of a variation on the same theme. So I wasn't going to include all eight of them on the soundtrack. No, of course. But who knows? Maybe there'll be a super duper mega complete ultra edition down the line. 
Never Say Never, stuff like that. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I'm sure that would make people happy. I was going to say, I bet the fans are going to be clamoring for one or a volume two or something like that. We'll 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 see. Um, it's it. The, I'm I'm just really thrilled that the the soundtrack has already reached so many people. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, I check the iTunes charts and the Amazon charts, and it like it's it's. I don't know how game soundtracks do because I'm not like I'm not. I, I don't check that often, um, but it just—it's nice to see that people are definitely listening to it. Um, and you should be extremely proud. I mean, this is this is the kind of uh, reception that most game scores uh, sort of dream of getting. I mean, part of that, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. I think I, I'm very lucky, and that this kind of game is a real gift to a composer. Um, and I, I've been thinking about like why the soundtrack is doing as well as it is, and I think. It has a lot to do with the prologue, um, which is basically a 10-minute short film. Um, we did one of our references for the prologue was Up, another was Lion King, um, and we just we just wanted to try and create an opening. We, we wanted to get the, the motivation for the story kind of out of the way because Metroidvanias and platforming games, it's all about the flow. Um, yeah. I mean, we must have used the word flow thousands of times in our meetings at Moon. It's all about it's all about smoothness and like being able to traverse the world easily. And if you're constantly interrupting that with, with cutscenes, it can start to become very clunky. We do have cutscenes in the game, but they're not very long. Um, they tell the story. We, we edited them a lot, edited them a lot to, uh, to help, uh, to help keep things moving along. But the prologue, it's 10 minutes at the beginning. So Every gamer is going to get through it because they're invested. If they bought the game, they're definitely going to play the opening 10, 15 minutes. They're probably going to play for an hour. Right. So you've got um, more freedom to play with pacing and right. things like that. So we, we can get away with Nauru the, or, or, or his mother. We can get away with her moving slowly. Um, whereas if you were controlling Nauru in the middle of the game, oh my goodness, it wouldn't feel good. Right. Um, but at the beginning, we can get away with that. And so this gave us a chance to build the relationship and then... Uh, um oh man i don't want to spoil it but it's the beginning of the game so i i feel like it's okay and it's all over the reviews um ori's mother dies and we're able to do that at the beginning um very quickly and that's you know that's one of the things up does exceptionally well um and i think that is something that everyone remembers and there's hardly any dialogue in the opening so yeah the, the the pressure to deliver something musically there is absolutely is absolutely immense um and that it was a very daunting thing to write for the prologue I, it took about eight months to get from the opening concepts for the prologue to what you hear in the game now um because we're dipping in and out of interactivity um, so there's some parts where you control Ori and Nauru and there's other parts that you don't and you have to take in, into account the player who is just going to sit there and get a cup of coffee <laughs> but then you also have to take into account someone who is just going to plow right through and constantly know where to go so they're in the prologue i think there are 26 different music cues but hopefully it feels like it does on the album it's kind of like three um i think i think i get through the prologue in three or four tracks on the album um but logistically it was probably the biggest challenge of the game um writing the gameplay music after the prologue just seemed comparatively simple um, because I had just had so 
so many less things to to worry about in terms of in terms of interactivity don't get me wrong there's still like a lot of cues that trigger in the right places but you have a lot more uh space to control it with than you do in the prologue which is a quite tightly scripted opening 10 minutes yeah and it's also more likely that the player's behavior is going to be more predictable in a standard gameplay scenario right. versus the prologue where first of all they're unfamiliar with the mechanics second of all they're they're still exploring and discovering even just the art style i mean i know for for me part of what slowed me down in playing through the prologue was just going holy crap this is such a beautiful game and it's in those initial moments that you really have time to absorb that and to to appreciate the artwork right. because once it starts getting more frantic it's uh you know you have other things to pay attention to um so but i it's it's interesting that you mentioned how many different components there are in that introductory 10 minutes because i was going to ask you from an implementation perspective how that worked because it's very impressive how utterly seamless it feels playing through it i mean musically there's just no indication um i mean well to to a trained ear you'll you'll notice if you're paying attention to it but it's just it's such a seamless um experience to go through that um prologue and now i feel like i want to do it in a whole bunch of different ways to see how it you're going to try and break it to... you're going to try and break it i aren't will you? <laughs> of course <laughs> um, i've got to um so um i think the the hardest thing was doing a melodically focused opening i mean the whole score is melodically driven but like especially something that is as tightly scripted as that making it not be repetitive but also um the music a lot of the music it doesn't especially in the opening when the forest uh, becomes blinded like there isn't much um there isn't much tempo and we don't actually have a tempo engine in the game right uh, there's no there's nothing keeping tracks of track of the beats per minute so frankly how we managed to get it seamless i have absolutely no idea <laughs> but um no i no i do but it's more I mean, this goes back all the, all the way back to USC. I mean, Lenny Lenny taught us some great tricks to to deal with transitions, and I'm still using them. Um, and there's just a lot of we we came up with a system uh, for the prologue where we would have loops play, and then we'd have what we what we would call phrases, and the phrases then basically the the gameplay switches from playing a loop to playing a phrase and a phrase plays when it's non-interactive and a loop plays uh when it's when it is interactive um but sometimes like for when for example when you exit the cave have you played how much of the game have you played or you, have you- i've gone through i've gone through about the first hour or okay. so only so when you exit the cave in the prologue uh there's a really yeah. twee happy cue now that's actually yeah. a phrase but then it goes into a loop so because some people might even bypass like the actual need to to loop so um because they might go straight across to naru and that only takes like five seconds um so there's a short musical phrase which takes into account a fast player but if a player wants to hang about and jump around and look at the scenery um or go back into the cave (laughs) um then the loop will accommodate that and then on top of the loop there's a layer as well which also comes in um all on um alternating times so loop one plays then it plays again but with layer one on top then layer one goes away and just loop one plays um and we have that in the prologue and it helps accommodate players who want to hang around a little bit um so you can try and break it and i'll be impressed if you do (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. Well, I mean, it's it, it's these kinds of technical details that are that are very impressive, and I'm glad that that we could talk about them a little bit because yep. I, I know that as a player, sometimes you forget how much work goes into making the mechanics of the audio feel as invisible as they often do in a modern game. I mean, there's just there's so much effort that goes into accounting for all of these edge cases and making sure that no matter what the player is doing, they're not going to encounter you know a sore thumb. Uh, right. musically or in terms of audio. But I want to I want to go back just a little bit to to actually finding the voice of the score because you were talking about how it's very melodic and how it's uh in that sense it's it's kind of unusual for a lot of modern scoring context in just how how willing it is to be a theme-driven score. And you said that that only really started coming together a lot when the art itself was also evolving. So what was that interplay like? Okay, so Moon had a bunch of a bunch of temp scores, which was useful as references, but I kind of started ignoring them as we went. But they they offered like a good starting point. So um, Avatar was one of them, obviously, especially Bioluminescence of the Night, um, and we had James Newton Howard's Peter Pan, right? Um, bunch of stuff by Tom Newman and. Uh, it was Michael Danner who did Moneyball, uh, if I'm correct. And uh, my own contribution to that was Life of Pi, which is probably my personal favorite score of the last five or six years. It's a spectacular um, score. It is just unbelievable. Um, and I think what we liked, like Life of Pi, I'm going to use Life of Pi because I can talk about it because I've listened to it so many times. Um, what Life of Pi did, like it does have the Indian like feel to it. But I'm not sitting there thinking I'm listening to Indian music when I watch Life of Pi. I feel like there's a universality to it. Um, yes. Like, yes, they're using an Indian instrument. And we actually use Bansuri in Ori as well. Um, there's two tracks, um, Riding the Wind and Completing the Circle, which is Bansuri heaven, basically, because it's like five Bansuris laid on top of each other. <laughs> um, so, um, but I, I'm hearing stuff indian instruments but it it feels like they are playing western style soundtrack music if that makes sense um so it's it makes it more accessible and we wanted for the game to have a lot of different elements a lot of different sonic elements in the score um one of the the most important things about a metroidvania one of like the kind of traditions is that each area has a very unique flavor um so if you play through the game you know it starts off and the colors are all very dark blue eventually you'll get to the swamp and then there's a lot of green you'll get inside a tree and there's lots of brown and green um you'll go down into uh an underground area and then it gets really dark blues and blacks and maybe but an occasional red final level like there's a ton of different colors around the area um around the whole map and that has to be reflected in the music. So uh, once the artwork started coming in and I had like a visual reference, it started to make choices for me. For example, the the Fallen Ruins, which is an area you won't be at yet, but yeah. it's it's a very it's a frozen area of the game. Okay. And there's a lot of ice, but there are some technological aspects of the game as well. Like that's the most technologically advanced area of the game um now you won't be seeing space marines there or anything but you'll, you'll understand <laughs> when you get there um you may have seen you may have seen it actually in, in 
previous gameplay trailers it's the area where you can manipulate gravity oh um, okay all right so you've probably seen that in trailers yeah um because we're very proud of it um so that area there's a lot of tuned metallic percussion a lot of gongs um yeah and f- for that like bear mccreary's uh cylon uh cylon gong theme like i was like what is that sound i have to find out exactly what that sound <laughs> yeah. is because it's so awesome now i didn't want to like totally um like do the same thing but i was like i want to use that gong sound because it just it feels cold and empty um and I, I feel like that's um that's why he chose it for the cylons but also this place is the forlorn ruins i mean the hint is in the title of the location yeah um so we would do this throughout the game like give unique sounds to each area i mean the other one i'll just do point out quickly the ginzo tree that place is that that level it takes place inside of a tree trunk and so there's a lot of wooden percussion and um including you know the sound the log beat being beaten uh, randomly so I don't want to say the music makes you feel like you're inside a tree, but like that's kind of what I was trying to go for. Of course, it has to reflect the environment in some way, even if it's indirect. tie that back into your question we needed something to bring all of this together to make sure that it felt like the same score because we didn't want to make it like the equivalent of video game music tourism um it's like oh we're now in this place and it feels totally different and we're now in this place it feels totally different it needed to somehow be brought together and the things that brought it together were the orchestra and the the theme so the the reason why we played the theme so much is because the score it's always written from the point of view of ori um like so ori's entering all of these new places and he's seeing it all for the new for the first time and that's why i feel like i want to play ori's theme the whole time just these different areas and these different textures and different instruments allow me to play with the theme in so many different ways and the other thing that ties it together is the orchestra. We knew we wanted to like make the score feel grand, um, but you'll notice even in what you played so far, the orchestra it does it does take a front seat sometimes because it needs to, but quite often it's not the it's not like hey we're an orchestra and you can really hear us right yeah um, like um, I didn't want to hit people over the head with the fact that yes, it's awesome that we we hired an orchestra to, to play our stuff, but I, I wanted it to make sure it's muted. I mean, I remember at the recording session, um, I was like, can we just uh, start every cue with strings playing muted? Because it got to the point where I didn't write mutes on any of the parts, but I was like, it just sounds better. It just sounds, it just feels like we're in the forest of uh, Nibel whenever, whenever I hear the muted strings, it just felt 
just felt right when I heard it. Um, and I think it also affects this the perceived scale. I mean, it's. I mean, you were recording at Oceanway Studios with the uh, the Nashville Music Scoring Orchestra, right? Yes, that's correct. And they're very. I mean, they've they've done work on quite a few big popular scores and i'm imagining for them to transition from some of the very very in-your-face music for something like uh dragon age well that was the last um, one they did i think before yeah. uh, before ori yeah so going from that to something like ori i can i can see why you know you you would have had to have them kind of come into a different headspace and and perform with that in mind but the result is gorgeous i mean they're they're such a talented ensemble they, they did a wonderful job with the score i think that was the the one because there's that 10 minutes before the first downbeat and every single thought, dreadful thought goes through your head. It's like, what if this sucks? What if this is going to be the worst <laughs> thing ever? Like, you know, because, you know, I, I wrote every note and I orchestrated it and I foolishly did all the copying as well. Um, oh, my God. Why would yes. you do that to yourself? Uh, because I, I won't go into too much detail, but basically I didn't budget for it um because when i budgeted for the game i was young and inexperienced and very silly oh, right um okay. but now i know um so i probably i probably could have i probably could have hired someone to do it but i hadn't set up the infrastructure in my own studio to be able to deliver stuff to someone else um and when that's the other thing when you have a project that takes place over four years and i've gone through so many different pieces of software like getting someone else on board um at, at, at that stage it, it would have cost me more time than it would. It would have just been quicker for me to do it myself. Um, right. So it was very painful. I'm surprised <laughs> there weren't more errors in the score. Um, but uh, I'm a quick worker. But anyway, um, I think with the players, like it didn't take them long to get what we were going for. Um, I think once they'd start, I, the first cue we recorded was the spirit tree, um, which is the main theme in one of its most uh, beautiful forms, I think. Um, it really just is the main theme and there's no other stuff going on. Yeah. Um, and I think once they played that, they're like, oh, it's going to be this kind of score. And, and they it clicked for them. It clicked for them pretty quickly. Um, and I think the other thing they really enjoyed, um, and I, I, I know this because they spoke to me like throughout the day, um, they were like, there's just so much melody. And I, you know, I pass around the melody to pretty much everyone. Um, and uh, I think I think they enjoyed that. Um, well, at least at least they told me they did. Who knows what they said behind my back? But, <laughs> and I'm kidding. Um, so uh, yeah, they, they were a joy to work with, and it just it just went so smoothly. And that is all you can ask for, especially when it's like it's the, this is the first time I've ever recorded anywhere near this amount of music with uh, with one group. And to get through the amount that we did in in two days, uh, I can't I oh, wow, can't praise days. them enough. Yes, yes, we recorded the whole score and actually four sessions, so four three-hour sessions. Right, that's fantastic. Um, so, um, yeah, the um, the fleeing Kuro, which is probably the most difficult piece on on the score. Uh, that's the one you hear on the on the on the soundtrack. That's take that's, two. It's toward the end, isn't it? That's take two. Yes. Wow. Oh yes. my god. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was just like, um, I wanted to, I wanted them to play it again after we'd recorded, it, and I was like, but but it's done. Um, it. it <laughs> It got the emotion right. It's got, it's got, it's such a crazy piece. Anyway, I was like, we're done. Let's let's move on. Uh, I like we could have we could have maybe tweaked some things, but when when you have a good performance, you just don't want to mess with it. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, they they were seriously amazing, and I, I cannot wait to to go back and and work with them on other things in the future. 
I can imagine. I think I think you've just created the best possible advertisement for them that they could possibly have. <laughs> I mean, that's that's remarkable. Actually, for our listeners, I'm just going to mention that you were kind enough to post a few pages from that particular queue. Um, just for people who were asking to take a peek at the score material. I don't know if you want that to be spread around further, but we have an audience primarily of soundtrack enthusiasts and a lot of composers, so I'm sure it would be fascinating for them as well if I could include a link in the um, show notes. It's on It's on, It's on. on Reddit, so uh, you can include it. Oh, fantastic. Uh, no, no problem. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe we'll do... Um, we might release some sheet music down the line that all obviously all depends on microsoft but so so no promises there but uh um i've i've had quite a few people ask me hey can you uh maybe make some sheet music and i would like to but uh we have to we'll have to see about it but for sure that excerpt is uh is available for all yeah fantastic i mean i this is the kind of score that i can really envision being included in a next round of like um video games live or one of these you know big orchestral concerts that that travel and present game music because it's the kind of score that really shows people what kind of amazing work is happening in this space yeah i mean i would love i would love for it to be part of video games live i mean i i go to the i go to the one at the the nokia theater and yeah. it's, it's just incredible it's it's great just to see so many people engaging like you won't you won't see that kind of audience at a regular classical music concert that's right yeah. um that's and you know if even like two percent of those people decide they want to go see some Shostakovich or something you know if even less than that if just a small percentage of, the, of those people suddenly get inspired to take up an instrument or to start listening to classical music um that th- that is just awesome and if if to be a part of that would be would be a tremendous honor because there is those concerts they're just packed with great music um and and actually like just thinking about that, like this week, the, the last week was just a great week for video games in general because we had we had Ori and then we had Hotline Miami 2, uh, like yeah. completely different in yeah. terms of the soundtrack, but like it still has an awesome soundtrack. Um, and then the City Skylines as well. Um, and like lo- there's just three games which have reviewed incredibly well. And it's I, f- I feel like it's just a really nice time to be a gamer at the moment. And I, I've been gaming since I was about four, back to the ZX Spectrum days. And like, that's a really old computer. And it's it's just really fun to see like wh- where it is now and, wh- and where it's going. Um, and uh, we've got a bunch more great scores to look forward to this year. Um, so... So yeah, it's and we're only in March. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I mean, it's it's interesting because on the one hand, uh, like you said, this this particular past week or two has been spectacular. But then we also had a number of games that I think let people down a little bit in terms of what I mean. Hype always does bad things for for game titles, but right. still, there there are some that just aren't living up to. I mean, the way I look at it is it's it's kind of like they're not taking advantage of the medium itself. They're trying so hard to be a film that they don't really celebrate what makes games different. And and it, for me, I mean, this is why a project like Ori seems like a unicorn. I mean, you had a long timeline. You had no franchise tie-in. There was a budget for live players. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things that I think is getting rarer, um, unfortunately, because people aren't taking risks on original storytelling and that's that's kind of sad to me i think one of the things with moon i mean moon gave everyone on the team like freedom to do what they felt was best and 
you know, I, I mentioned it earlier, like I had access to everything and I could give feedback on everything. Like when is the composer really going to get to give feedback on level design? Right. You know, because I'm I'm playing the game. Like that does that doesn't happen. I like I can't say for sure that that doesn't happen. Other you know on the big studios, but I can make an intelligent guess that it's probably not happening. Yeah. Um, um, because composers are coming in at the end, um, and that's kind of been the tradition because that's how it is in film. You know, I I heard someone told me that Alexandre Desplat scored Imitation Game in like two weeks, which scares me. Um, yeah, but, I mean he's uh, a madman anyway, but uh, still, it's. He is a madman anyway. He's, he's, he's probably got another 10 scores coming out this year. But um, but I think for games, you've just got to take time. And yeah, it, it can be annoying like to spend so much time on something and, you know, like this is this is a lot of work and I, I'd, lo- I'd love to be able to churn scores out quickly. But for a game like Ori and especially the games where you're doing exploration and adventuring and you're giving the player, you know, 10 plus hours to spend in that world, you you just got to take the time to play the game and i think if you're writing music for a game like ori or any adventure game if you're not playing the game i just don't think you can possibly deliver your best work i I just don't feel i feel like it's impossible um now on the other hand like if you're doing a racing game like you're going to get it pretty quickly yeah um i'm not saying that like writing music for a racing game is easier it's because it's a different skill set um but you're you probably aren't going to have to play quite as much, but there are so many variables in an ex- exploration game. Um, and I actually spoke with uh, with Austin, Austin Wintery, um, like two months before we did the recording, and he was telling me, you know, he was he was playing Journey a ton, and it shows because um, Journey is well, it's all about the journey. That sounds really cheesy, it's, but it's yeah. it's really the game. Um, and there's there's a lot of exploration, there's a lot of variables, and I'm sure Austin worked his butt off to like explore as many of the variables as he possibly could to accommodate everyone um and i think i think it's a shame like if composers aren't getting involved more early because i think we can bring a lot to the table especially as most game composers are gamers and we can give feedback on level design because ultimately we're just another player so frankly we're a free tester yeah Um, and an unusually passionate one right um yeah because we 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 want the best for the game because obviously reflects well on us um so and that's that's what moon did so well they they really they didn't like all the feedback and you know we didn't agree on all of it but it was there and it was there to be discussed um and and everyone's feedback had like equal footing that's another advantage of being like a smaller more focused team is that everyone feels like they have their say um and you know Sometimes your arguments get shot down and sometimes, you know, they, they get elevated, but it's, it's very fair. Um, and yeah, I don't get me wrong. Like sometimes like having to go through, uh, what I would call a democratic process with, with moon. Sometimes it was a little bit of a pain, but honestly, the end result speaks for itself. So I can't really like question it anymore. Um, so it's, it's, all of the discussion and all of the all of the freedom we're given is is the reason why art story music um have have come together in the game in the way that it has yeah i mean i think when it comes to the involvement of composers it's uh, it's important that people are able to tell the difference because that's what scares me a little bit i mean to you and i it's obvious how much more authentic the score sounds because you had the opportunity to really immerse yourself in the project for you know a long period of time and be involved from an earlier point but i worry that a lot of newer studios aren't really 
recognizing the impact that that kind of um, musical involvement makes. So to them, it's not they're not really sensing a tremendous difference between that and you know remembering two weeks before launch that oh shit we should really put some music in here and and calling someone in to rush through right. it. And I that's what concerns me ultimately is are we losing on the developer's side this awareness of what music can do and how uh, what a better score sounds like you know what it means to have an authentic good score yeah i mean i think um i think that's partly like an educational thing um you know it maybe some developers just don't know um and they're probably getting their cues from film where they think it like can be right. done all at the end but with a film it's it's linear there is only one exactly. way you're going to score yeah. a film really um which which is nice um but in in many respects but um with with the games you've got so many so many variables to consider and the just the earlier you bring on your composer um you're going to make life easier for him or her and um you're going to you're going to be able to try stuff out yourself like that's that's the thing like with 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 Ori it's like it feels like we're constantly editing the game because uh you know when i put music in early they can react to it and they can tweak things like i know cutscenes that got tweaked because of the music um and that's awesome when they're editing to the music and if you're in early um that can really help so for example like the way the cutscenes were done in the game um, they'd simply do storyboards and I would score the storyboards Okay, and, and they would then base the animation on my score for the storyboards, which meant I didn't have to worry about syncing, which was awesome, huh, so- which made it less work from <laughs> less work for me. Um, cause syncing to picture is one of the hardest things that we have to deal it with. It sure is. Yeah. So you were actually setting the pacing essentially for the cutscenes. Yes. Which is a lot of responsibility, but um, you know, I would t- obviously I wouldn't be like doing this in a vacuum. I'd be like talking about like you know what moments do we want to highlight in the storyboards. But then I would try and like shape the music to reflect that. Um, and um, you know, eventually you'll, you you will get to the end of the game, and the, the final cutscene is quite long, but it's um, and it's it's the piece the the sacrifice on the on the album, and it like there's so much ebb and flow in that piece and it was like there's there's no way i could have written the music for that final cutscene if i was tied to the edit um like what happened was is that they you know they they did the edit to the music and so you have an uninterrupted piece of music which keeps the flow that i had in mind and because that informed the visuals um it meant that the visuals flowed well as well and uh you know, it ends up wrapping up the game really nicely. Conversely, with the gameplay music, you know, the visuals inform how the gameplay music sounds. So it's kind of like two different processes happening at the same time. I think for many listeners, alongside the orchestra and the melodic themes in the score, the most distinctive element is probably the vocal aspect, uh, which comes to us courtesy of Ms. Early Brighton. So I'm wondering if you could walk us through a little bit of the process of how you discovered her and what it was like working with her to develop that sonic side of the score. Okay, so I knew I knew we needed some kind of signature sound, and like like I mentioned in the 
in an earlier question, right? We had the orchestra to tie everything together, but the orchestra is a sound that everyone knows, right? Um, and I wanted something else that could like tie the key moments of the game. I mean, Aerily is singing on all the key moments of the game. So I spent maybe six to eight months like casually looking for a singer. Like, you know, I would go on YouTube and like look for people and saying, ah, oh, this person's good, but I'm not hearing what I want to hear. Um, and don't get me wrong, I know I could have like looked up a session singer and probably like if it had gotten to the point where I hadn't found someone, I totally would have hired a session singer to do it and they would have done a great job. But I wanted someone desperate um, because Moon Studios is like, it's filled with people who are like, this is their first big shot, right? The, the art team, it's their first big game that they've shipped. Um, you know, Thomas and Gennady, it's their, it's their first kind of big thing they've shipped. For me, it's like the first really big project and so on. So I wanted someone that was like really wanting to succeed. And um, I found Airly on YouTube and I was like, hmm, this voice has a lot going on. There's a lot of richness to her voice. Uh, I'm going to contact this person because this might be the one. <laughs> and I find out that she lives 10 minutes away from me. <laughs> um, like, <laughs> I was what like, really? 10 minutes away? Well, let's, let's meet up. Um, and then the first piece of music we recorded was actually the last piece of music that ended up getting finalized. Um, and it was the launch trailer. Um, so... The E3 trailer is the first of Airly that people heard with Ori, but that was um, not the first piece of music we recorded. The first one we recorded was in the, in the launch trailer, and uh, I was like, wow, this is really good. And I sent it to Thomas, the director, and uh, he cried. And Thomas doesn't cry. Like, Thomas Thomas is a machine. Um, so I was like, that is a good sign. If, if Thomas thinks something is good, like, you have to take it as, like, this is a masterpiece of great art because to get Thomas to say something is good is probably the hardest thing ever. Um, so um, he is a hard man to please. But he liked it, and I was like, okay, well, this is the one. And it's fine. I, I mentioned the richness of her voice. I actually did a... I, I, I got an EQ snapshot of her voice. And I just like had her sing a sustained note and I'm looking at all the harmonics going on and I've, I've compared it to other singers and there is just way, way more going on, like sometimes too much in, in, in some respects. It's sometimes the harmonics have to be toned down, but there's just a, such a richness there and I can't really do a technical analysis, but there's, there's something in that, in that, in those frequencies that resonates with people. There is something in her vocal cords. I don't know how she sings with such feeling. Um, she has she has an interesting background. Um, she she was in the military for several years. Really? Um, yep. So uh, yeah, she only started singing about a year and a half ago. Wow. <laughs> um, like doing it professionally. Yeah, she only started about a year and a half ago. And uh, um, I, I don't think she'll mind me saying this. Uh, you know, at the time she uh, she uh, wasn't reading music. She all she did it all by feel. Um, now she's, she's learning to read music, which is awesome. Uh, but at the time, you know, I was like, okay, we need you to sing this melody, but you know, I sung it to her and she sung it, sung it back. And, um, yeah, she, she just has an amazing ability to connect with listeners and I don't know where it comes from. Um, but when she, when she sings, it really, it really comes from the heart. And I know that sounds like the most cliched thing ever, but I really feel it when she sings and it's, it's not, we didn't even go to an amazing studio to record it. It's not like we're, we're spending like gazillions of dollars on the recording. I mean, this, this thing was recorded on a $300 microphone in my, in my office, you know, it's, yeah. um, and it, her performance is 
uh, it's re- it's remarkable, like what she brings to the table. Especially, she's not even singing words; she's just ring for the whole thing, pretty much. And there's she, she gets such an amount of feeling in that vowel. Um, it and and vowels are universal, and I think that's why people like the uh, like Erily's voice is because they're not having to listen for lyrics. Right. Yeah, they're not trying to identify or decipher words. Right. So they're just listening to the melody when she sings. Um, and that means they can 100% focus on the melody and her voice. And that helps. I think that because it's the first thing you pretty much hear is, is, is a theme and it's her voice. And I think that really establishes one, holy crap, I'm playing a serious game. This game is for real. Um, and, and two, it just helps foster the connection between the player um, and, and the game. I couldn't agree more. And as a listener, I just feel grateful for her contribution to the score. I want to return for a second to what we were talking about before, though, as far as the contribution that a composer makes to a score. Because you've worked quite extensively doing library music as well, um, one of the, I guess, more philosophical questions that I wanted to ask you was what your outlook is on the notion of library music threatening the sort of more creative opportunities for composers in the industry. Do you feel that that's a real thing or do you think that it's just the audiences are so different that it doesn't really have an impact either way? I don't I don't think library music will ever ever replace a custom made score. Um there's a lot of things that library music can bring to the table, but you while you and and I've kind of like alluded to it in like how we did the the sacrifice um at at the end of the game because you know the music yeah. existed before the visuals but um the the structure of library music is it's and I've I've created enough of these tracks now it's very rigid um and there's it they, they, all the tracks are created in not all of them but it feels like yeah. many of them are following a formula and um that works especially for commercials and trailers and and productions where like the the music is taking a back seat but if you want to do something narrative you're probably not doing your product uh, a good service by going going with library music um you know there's for example like the, the two steps from hell like all of their music sounds absolutely incredible but you know, there's a reason it's not being used in films, like to tell because it it's it serves a narrative like only in in two and a half minutes. But you know, you won't ever see like freedom fighters being used in like a big cue action cue yeah. in 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 a film. Um, might be used <laughs> <Yeah>. as temp, <laughs> but uh, um, but uh, yeah, I just I just don't feel like you can ever library music is going to get really good and there's some great like melodically driven library music as well but it's never going to be the same as if you've had someone take time and care and spend time with the game or the film that they can really understand the story that i think the more here's how how i'll sum it up i think the more you try to create something in a vacuum the the less and and with the less collaboration you're you're not going to do your product any good um and you know, again, I come back to it with Moon. The reason why we ended up having Ori be the success that it's been is because it was so collaborative, and there was endless discussion. You're doing library music. You're picking a track from a catalog, and there's nothing collaborative about that. I know library music companies offer custom services, but it's just not the same. Yeah, um, that's my view on it. Um, so, 
Um, I think they can coexist for sure. Um, but uh, I think custom scores are going to be around for quite a while yet. I certainly hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I, I, I'm just coming back to game music here. There's there's a, a level now that we've reached with the way that game music functions in terms of interactivity, in terms of reacting to the player. And one of the things that I, I, I wonder about and I'm hoping to get your feedback on is what you see as the future of, of game audio in terms of like, where do we go from here? You know, I mean, now it's reacting to the player. It's tied into the gameplay. What's the next level? Wow, that is a loaded question. Uh, oh my goodness. Um, what I would like to see, um, there's a couple of things I would like to see, and I'm, uh, some of my some of my answers is going to be a little bit coloured because of the score of Ori. Of but I mean, I would like to see more melody in video games um, because there is room for it. Um, like, there's a lot of there's a lot of scores with with wonderful wonderful textural writing, um, but I think if you give your player something to latch onto, uh, a hook, a melody, a motif, it just it draws them yeah. into the experience more. Um, and I I don't I genuinely don't believe you can just do that with texture. Um, so that's like w- one thing, but it's hard to write a melody. I mean, it took two years to, to like get <laughs> yeah. to the melody for Ori. So um, it, it just to find the right one is is a challenge. Um, that's like but then the the next thing the next aspect of that is like how do you make something melodically driven work in a game that you might experience for 10 hours and not drive you absolutely insane um because you know if you're playing the melody too much um then people are going to get irritated by it and turn the music off yeah. which is obviously the the worst outcome um so i think i think actually the technical infrastructure now is there for game composers to do whatever they want i feel like the emphasis has shifted back onto us to deliver the assets that enable enable the player to experience music in new ways i mean i'll take ori as an example there we are not using um fmod or wys for the uh the audio the, the, oh, really? The, yeah. I, I think there's like the, a very loose framework of it, but most of the stuff in the game is custom um, in, in Unity. For example, the mixing console is custom. Um, so the, all the balancing of stuff, it was written by our programmer. Uh, I have no okay. idea how he did that. I don't <laughs> want to know. I'm sure he spent many late nights doing it. Um, yeah. All of the musical framework, it is hand-coded. Um, which is partly one of the reasons why the prologue might feel so good um, is because it was, you know, I'm able to tweak values and fades myself. I can go into Unity and they've made it they've made it not intimidating for me. Like, I know exactly yeah. where to go. They've got this nice little table where I can tweak the fades and I can tweak, like, the timings of things coming in and out. And it gives me such granular control. And I was like, can we do this? And they're like, yeah, I'll code that for you really oh okay um and it, wow. comes, it comes back to that communication thing again i all i have to do to get a musical hook in the game um when i say the word hook i mean like uh um like the music should play here when i when yep. i when i need when i need that I, it's literally one skype message to our audio wizard and then maybe like 15 minutes later it's there <laughs> like, that's amazing yeah. like and and that is throughout the game and it means i have such ability to to customize the musical experience whereas i think a lot of 
exploration games, it's just like, okay, we've got these 10 areas, let's just have 10 background music tracks and we're done. Um, which is good to a point, but we've got a lot of different rooms in Ori and we've got a lot of different stingers and a lot of different things that we can add on top of that base loop. Um, and it makes it feel a bit more alive. But I think now there is, there should be no technical limitations on the compose uh, on the on the on the uh, implementation side. So it's up to the composers and our imaginations as game composers to like, how can we deliver something awesome for the listener? Um, and there there have been some tremendous interactive scores uh, recently. Um, I recently played Unfinished Swan. Um, yeah, which is a be- beautiful beautiful score, um, and. Uh, I think uh, we, we just want to see more things like I, there's stuff that I wanted to do in Ori, like have like kind of like a musical level, like in, in Rayman Legends, which we just didn't get a chance to, to do um, for this one. But maybe if there is a sequel, we'll be able to like explore that. Um, just uh, having music be a, a part of the world, but maybe not in quite um, such a gimmicky way, but just uh, have it have it color the world a little bit more yeah those were um, very fun levels in rayman legends though they are they are absolutely incredible levels i i have no idea if we could emulate them in any way for um for ori 2 or put our uh, own spin on things if there's you know if there's a sequel but uh um it's something i'd certainly like to do um because uh there's a lot of things there's a lot of things we could do with the theme and with a music in a musical level kind of way um and uh i think I think if there were to be a sequel, we'd probably explore the interactivity uh, a lot more and do do more interesting. Yes, even further. Well, since you mentioned Ori 2, what I wanted to ask you on a parting note was whether you have any upcoming projects that you're able to talk about or whether you can drop any juicy hints for us to chew on for the next little while. Um, unfortunately, I, I can't talk about anything right now. Every a lot of the stuff I'm working on is under wraps, as it's, uh, you know, you know that's how it is. Yeah, but yeah. Um, again, and also I can't confirm or deny that there's an Ori two, but <laughs> you can. Let's just I'll just say that you can draw your own conclusions from the success of the game and the amount of feedback that there that there has been. And um, yeah, I think that's yeah. safe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just it's. It's just been really, you know, when you have four years of your life condensed into eight hours, um, which is what it probably took most reviewers to finish the game. I mean, we, we had the launch party last Monday and it started at 8 p.m. and the review embargo lifted at 8 p.m. <laughs> so oh. the, launch, the, the launch party starts and everyone's like on their phone. We're like the most antisocial party. I was going to say, what kind ever. of party is that? <laughs> um, but after, after like 15 minutes, we, we'd read like most of them. And we're like, okay, it's, we, can, we can relax now. Um, so yeah, it was, it's, it's just nice to see, you know, I've, I, everyone on the team has put so, so much into it. And um, a lot of love and care has gone into the game. And, um, you know, it's it's nice to see people responding to it. And I think the other thing, um, and we kind of mentioned it with, with when we were talking about in general about games earlier. The the other thing that's been really nice to see is how many people are finishing the game. We are in an age right now where people do not finish games. Right. Um, the stats on Steam bear that out. Um, but people, I know people are finishing Ori because they are sucked in. My my roommate, he's he's another composer, and uh, he. Uh, he doesn't play video games and he certainly he, he the only games i've seen him play are skyrim which is a bit different to ori yeah. he certainly does not play pre- precision platformers mm-hmm. and his first playthrough he played for four and a half hours straight 
Wow. Um, and, you know, I'm seeing that kind of reaction from people who don't play games because they're sucked into the world. And I don't think you can do that unless everything comes together. Um, and, you know, a similar example is Cities Skylines, right? <laughs> I'm looking on Steam and there's like 50,000 people playing it. And it's because in that game, I dipped into it last week, everything has come together in a way that makes sense. And it seems like, I think that development team is quite small and I can't speak for them, but it feels like, and having, having watched some of their dev videos, it feels like there is a similar kind of philosophy there. It just, that product really feels like everything came together and everyone was on the same page. Um, and it's showing in the number of people that picked it up. I think they said a quarter of a million copies in 24 hours. So wow. for, for a simulate, a simulation and a city builder. Um, and yeah, I'm sure they're feeling like how, how we do. It's just nice when, you know, you, you know, a lot of people are getting something from your game. And, and, and in the case of Ori, because obviously you can't finish city skylines, but in the case of Ori, you, people are finishing it and, um, you know, it, they get to the end and there's a nice, there's, there's an emotional payoff at, at the end. And, uh, I think one of the reasons why the, the soundtrack is, is, is doing well is because people maybe want to take Ori with them after it's done. Yeah. Um, so, and you know, the ending of the game, we worked hard on, on making it powerful. And I think that has stuck with the people who have finished, finished the game. Um, and just one more thing, like this game I feel like it's a lot of it is word of mouth. I think when you show this to people, people get it. I think probably people saw the E3 trailer and thought, oh, this is going to be another RT, RT indie game. Um, and then now people are sitting down and playing. It's like, oh, there is a game here with good mechanics. It looks, it looks amazing. Uh, the sound, the sound and music uh, have really high production values. Um, and, and the story, it, it's all symbiotic. And I think that draws people in and uh and keeps them playing i would agree and i think it's also nice that there wasn't a try like one of those gigantic campaigns behind it that was building a huge hype bubble um for a long time i mean at least to me it feels like ori um emerged a little more subtly into the market it wasn't really you know screaming about itself before it came out because that allows it to be out on the market to be out and have people playing it and have their impressions be how others are hearing about it like you said a, a word of mouth an organic um spread yeah i mean we had tremendous support from microsoft it's, i mean especially in the month running up like they, they definitely they definitely ramped things up for us but uh i mean one of the one of the reasons you didn't hear much about it i mean we were supposed to release in october and then we announced that we were being delayed um and uh i think that delay helped us a little bit because um I can't say for sure, but I think we may have been lost a little bit because a lot of big games get released in October and November. And this is a this is a little bit of a quieter time of year, you know. I mean, yes, last week there were the three games came out at the same time. Yeah. They're all totally different yeah. games. Um and they're all good. Um and um this this is a this was a good spot for us, I think. I think it was a blessing in disguise that we we got delayed, uh, partly because there were there were a lot of bugs back in October. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, um, but uh, yeah, it's um, w we had we had great support from Microsoft, but a lot a lot of the I mean a lot of the things we do, we're just trying to engage with as many of our fans as possible. I I know for sure that a lot of the, the developers we've been dropping into Twitch streams. Um, and uh, watching people play the game. Uh, I've introduced myself a couple of times and then I get told I'm trolling, which is really funny. <laughs> um, so then I have to prove who I am and then people are like, oh my goodness. Um, 
but it's it's fun watching people play play the game um and man if i had twitch when i was in school i wouldn't have graduated <laughs> uh, yeah because it is an unbelievable resource um and as a as a as a game developer you're getting direct visual and body language feedback because a lot of people broadcast and they, they show a picture of themselves. Yeah. And so you can see whether they're getting enjoyment out of it or you can see when they're getting frustrated. You know, when people are dying, you've probably, you've probably died a few a times few, yeah. so far, <laughs> right? Um, but, you know, when people are dying, they smile. And like, it's like, because, oh, and I think that's testament to our controls because it's like, it, they feel like they made a mistake rather than Yeah, it doesn't feel unfair. Them. Right. And, and you know, when you get that kind of uh, reaction, I mean, it it is an amazing resource as a developer. And uh, yeah, if there's one thing I would say to developers, it's like watch the Twitch streams of people playing your game because it is it is an invaluable resource. Um, you know, I watched um, there was a pro gamer who I watched the other day, and he cried during the prologue. I mean, this guy is like a thirty year old man, um, and uh, yeah, he broadcasted out for the world to see, and like that's. That's nice when you see that stuff because you you don't get that when you when you watch a film like because you know everyone's sitting in the dark. And not only that, but you don't get it when you read a review, even if it's a positive right. one. Being able to right. see that live right. is is an entirely different level of. of... It, it means a lot more, especially when thirty thousand other people are watching it. Um, and uh, yeah, that is that comes back to the word of mouth thing. You know, if, if thirty thousand people are watching a professional game and cry playing the opening of Ori. That's probably good for us, right? Yeah. Uh, so, um, so that's the kind of th- that's the kind of thing we, we've we've enjoyed like dropping in on on Twitch streams uh, the the last for the last week. Um, I can it's just, imagine it's just a tremendous resource. I can imagine. Well, I'm going to let you get back to basking in that positivity. We we congratulate you from on behalf of everyone here at, at Track Sounds for for the success of the game, but also of the score, which, like we said, is has really been received warmly and uh, we cannot wait to have you back to talk about the hypothetical possible maybe next <laughs> next project from you gareth thank you so much uh, it's been it's been a pleasure um talking about the game and uh, and talking with you and uh, your 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 website seems to keep going from strength to strength so uh, and i hope that continues thank you kindly Listeners, thank you to you as well, Um, always for your support and feedback. It means the world to us when you send us messages or rate us on iTunes. So if you feel inclined, please take a moment to do so. It really helps us out. Until next time, I'm Marius Masilar, and this is The Soundcast. Soundcast.